We are the Narrators 3, Elisa, Lynn, and Chell. And this is Once Upon a Rewatch, where every plot device comes with a price. Welcome to Once Upon a Rewatch, Season 1, Episode 19, The Return. The air date for this episode was April 22nd, 2012. There was a three-week break between the airing of Episode 18 and this episode. The writer was Jane Espenson, and the director was Paul Edwards, who we know from That Still Small Voice. The title card features August on his motorcycle. Yeah, and I'm going to apologize to everyone in advance because this is an August-heavy episode, and I'm not happy about that. And I spent a lot of time talking about how not happy about that I am. (laughs) You're all duly warned. You've been warned. August wakes up with a painful twitch in his leg, so bad it flips him out of bed, quite dramatically, I might add. He stumbles over to the desk where a phone sits. He hastily dials, wincing in pain as we hear the brief conversation from his end only. This is taking too long. We need to accelerate the plan, he says to the other person. Cut to later that morning, August and Henry meet across the street from Mr. Gold's pawn shop. Oh my God, just stay away from Henry, you fucking creep. You all set, August asks, unsure. Operation Cobra is always ready, Henry insists, before confessing he is unsure what this plan has to do with getting Emma to believe. Sometimes other priorities assert themselves, August answers evasively. He then asks Henry if he can handle a little improv. With a cocksure smile, Henry replies, yeah, can you? Henry is so sassy in this scene, and I love it. Sassy TV kids can be really annoying, but Henry is such a sweet, good boy that when he does sass, it's kind of endearing. Plus, his sass is aimed at August, which August needs to take him down a peg. (laughs) What I just want to know, and I know I've asked it before, but why does no one in this town stop this random asshole from hanging out with a literal child? Like, no one knows this greasy bastard from Adam, but sure, none of us think it's sus at all that this grown-ass man has this need to always hang around a child. It's creepy. Why are we doing nothing about it? They don't care. It's This this town is stuck in the 80s from this time bubble, and so they're just like, this is fine. I'm sure this is fine. But the 80s was so, like, ramped up with stranger danger. Yes, like August is, like, a walking, talking, after-school special about stranger danger. Yeah, but they also just let kids do anything. This is true. I mean, it's kind of remarkable anyone survived the 80s if you actually start to think about it. (laughs) Henry goes into Mr. Gold's shop, where a pleasantly surprised Mr. Gold greets him. Henry says he wants to get Mary Margaret a congratulations on not being a murderer gift. Henry and Mr. Gold are very sweet in this scene. It's very charming. I don't know why it charmed me so much, but it did. It was really cute. (laughs) I I love the smile that Mr. Gold always has whenever he sees Henry. I know. And like, like, it's like a little cork of the side of his mouth, like a little, like a pleasant smirk. It's not a bad smirk. It's It's a pleasant smirk. Like he's like... Oh, kid, kid who's talking to me. Hi, Henry, how are you? You know, oh, it's, it's so like cute. it's like watching someone's eyes light up when they see a dog and they love dogs, but they can't have a dog because they have a crappy landlord or whatever. And it's just like, <laughs> I want one. And I remember like the one I had when I was a kid. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he just wants to, you know, ruffle his hair and toss a ball with him or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> but you know I think he feels those twinges of paternal protectiveness and, yeah. and joy and Henry's such a good boy 
I mean, Henry's such a good boy. He's probably, you know, on to the fact that Henry's trying to outsmart Regina. Oh, yeah. He's like, oh, I love this kid. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I love this kid. This kid is, this kid's great. <laughs> uh, and he's like, well, of course, he's the savior's child, you know, so I am not surprised at all, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. With Gold distracted, August creeps in through the back door and prowls around the back room looking for something. Gold finds him with a wary, may I help you? Playing it cool, August says he's looking for maps. Mr. Gold says he would be happy to show August an array of maps in the shop, but this is his office. August plays dumb, saying he thought this was the entrance. A darkly suspicious but cool-headed Gold replies firmly, it's not, before directing August through to the front. He waits while August goes to the front, pondering who this stranger could possibly be. Mr. Gold has already clubbed one man half to death with his cane, and I would give him anything he wanted to repeat that with August. Yeah, honestly, Henry's presence was the only thing between August and a swift, painful death. Because he looked like he wanted to, and I just was like, come on, (laughs) do it. Meanwhile, Emma visits Catherine in the hospital to get her statement. Catherine remembers being in a car accident and waking up in a basement with food and water. She surmises that she was drugged, which Dr. Whale confirms. Oh, good. August and Dr. Whale? This episode is spoiling me. Best episode ever. (laughs) Adding that they are still in the process of flushing the drug out of her system. Catherine remembers waking up in a field on the outskirts of Storybrooke and then walking into town. Emma gently questions if Catherine was able to hear a voice, smell a cologne or perfume, but alas, nothing. Catherine is bewildered to learn that everyone thought she was dead. And Dr. Whale says the DNA paperwork was doctored and everyone involved is being questioned. Emma thinks someone is trying to frame Mary Margaret. Catherine cannot fathom who would do such a thing. Who indeed? Poor Catherine, like damn. I'm like, her temporary ride or die friend Regina really did her so dirty. Yeah, that was really short lived. Yeah, seriously. Also, yeah, we normally don't like Dr. Will, but he was actually a pretty decent fellow in this brief scene. Oh yeah. He does he does nothing, nothing to anger me in this scene. He exists. He, he exists. He's fine. He exists. he exists. That made me mad. You know what? Actually, <laughs> you know what I'm gonna say is I remember here's my, my sidebar. I remembered before I started watching Once Upon a Time and I saw him the first time, I got excited because I remember liking him in Heroes. Well, in Heroes, he doesn't suck. And then all of a sudden I watched this and I was like, oh no, I don't like his character in this. This is disappointing. I was actually excited about him. And that's my sidebar about Dr. Whale. I was excited about him until he was who he is. (laughs) Until he revealed his true colors. Yeah. Now he just sucks and we hate him. Surprise, surprise. We cut to a shot of an outraged Regina accusing Gold of breaking their deal. He assures her he's broken one deal in his life and it certainly wasn't this one. Catherine was supposed to die and Mary Margaret was to take the blame, Regina whinges. Hee-haw, Regina. (laughs) Flippantly, Gold says murder seems so much worse here. You can't just turn someone into a snail and step on them, he says. If only. Although, while I do indulge in escargot occasionally, I find the idea of senseless snail murder to be atrocious. Totally beside the point, but I enjoy that the pawn shop has a classic Mickey Mouse phone in it. It's a nice touch. My parents had that phone. It is a nice touch. Yes, they have lots of little Easter eggs. And yeah. It's just Gold's like, remember, it's Disney, wink. Gold reminds Regina that she didn't say kill her. They agreed on something tragic. An abduction qualifies. 
Regina insists that the intent was clear. Regina begins to argue about semantics, but he ends the argument with an impatient please. If you've forgotten, this is the magical caveat Rumpelstiltskin ensured to get Regina to obey or just piss off as is usually the case. Regina realizes there will be questions about the fake DNA test results and the key in Mary Margaret's cell, all of it leading back to her. Baffled and enraged, Regina doesn't understand why Rumpelstiltskin would turn on her now, since they have been in this together from the start. Gold laughs derisively at that. You created the curse for me, Regina goes on. Why did you do it? He snarls at her. You're a smart woman, your majesty. Figure it out. These two sniping at each other is glorious. It only took Regina 30 years to even question why Rumpelstiltskin would create such a complex curse for her. Like, girl, you failed critical thinking at the Enchanted Community College. The statute of limitations is applicable here. <laughs> like, like, why did you not question this from the get-go? <laughs> I don't know, but all I could think during the scene was just, lol, Regina, that man hates you so much. So, so much. <laughs> he hates you. Yeah, she just was not thinking straight. Like, I don't know. I don't know why you would trust him in the first place. She I don't know. Just, she's it, just it, consumed. is a little weird. Like, she has, like, she has, like, a very, like, I thought we were friends. And it's like, why? Why do you think that? Why, why? exactly? We'll look back at your history no 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 you're always one-upping each other like Regina, honey you don't have any friends no <laughs> you drug them and kidnap them and pretend they're dead if you do or actually, blackmail them into doing actually, weird shit for you actually yeah. try to get them killed and that happens kill them yourselves you know this is regina, why we can't have nice things regina yeah you have a lot of growing to do regina or you throw fireballs at them in the case of melissa Fent. yeah yeah. And threaten their cute little pony unicorns. unicorns. Yeah. yeah just get a fucking pony. We realm jump back in time to the enchanted forest where a boy is playing ball. He runs after his ball in front of a cart of a merchant who starts to yell but stops when he realizes that the boy in question is Rumpelstiltskin's son, Balefire. The merchant quickly backpedals, offering Bay one of his chickens. Balefire dismisses the offer, saying he should go but the noise alerts Rumpelstiltskin, who comes out to investigate. The merchant apologizes, and Balefire assures his father that he's fine. But when the Dark One sees the cut on his son's leg, he turns the merchant into a snail as the villagers watch. Despite Balefire's objections, Rumpel crushes the snail beneath his boot. Casual murder as a gesture of love, part two, or actually part one, since this happens before he casually murders Gaston by turning him into a rose for Belle. I think this one would be considered casual murder, I guess, part two, because part one would be all the soldiers that he didn't necessarily need to kill oh, when they yeah. were trying to take Balefire to war. Like, he didn't necessarily need to kill them. He just could have scared them off. Yeah. Very true. You're right. This is casual gesture of love part two. And so mm. the, that rose is uh, part three. There you go. Also, fun fact, the leather ball Balefire is playing with is the same leather ball Mr. Gold is seen holding in his shop when he is sniping with Regina. Good catch. Yeah, I didn't catch that. Oh, neither did I. Thank you. Once upon a time, Wikipedia. You could have <laughs> just taken the credit and we would have believed you. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> yeah, I, I totally caught that. <laughs> Kermit agrees. 
Kermit, come here. Kermit says, I didn't know that. What a fun fact. You Zola. catch everything. Zola, how dare you? I told you that. <laughs> He's like, hey, I noticed that. And I told you, and you're passing it off as your own. <laughs> we return to Storybrook Hospital, where David visits Catherine. He goes in to kiss her forehead, but she abruptly wakes up with a gasp. Bro, you are just batting triple zeros here. Like, she was kidnapped, and she's asleep. You think it's a wise idea to lay a smooch on her, however chaste? <sighs> this is exactly what's wrong with cis man. All of all of this, just all of this. Well, here's the yeah. thing: David's a moron. Yeah, <laughs> very true. David apologizes for his lies and cheating. Catherine is extremely understanding, saying what they had just wasn't right for him. Probably both of them. She will not blame him for being the first to see it. He calls her amazing and she agrees before telling him to skedaddle because she wants to go back to sleep. He says, okay, I'm going in for that kiss on the forehead now. Homie, homie. No, like I, I get it. It's playful and she's allowed, but ugh, just uh, ask. That's all like, may I now kiss you on the forehead? Like It's kind of on. gross, especially after you just talked about how you cheated on her to be. Yes. To be yeah. It's like, sorry, I cheated on you. I'm gonna kiss you now. It's like, but no, read the yeah, fucking just, room. Read the fucking room, my dude. Just back the fuck up. Yeah, David, just just go somewhere else and cool off for a while and stop disappointing everyone. That evening, Emma hosts a welcome home party for Mary Margaret. All these people just to welcome me home, Mary Margaret asks Emma. You've got a lot of friends, the sheriff says. Mary Margaret replies, it didn't feel like that yesterday. I am so glad that this line exists. It is a rare moment of reflection and observation for once upon a time. Yeah, like where were those people yesterday or a week ago? Poor Mary Margaret has really only had Emma and Henry through all this. And like, I guess Mr. Gold, I mean, he kind of made it happen in the back, but you know, to her face had had her back and I guess also secretly had her back. I don't know. Storybrooke is full of fucking fakes. Yeah. That's my hot take of the moment. Henry watches Mr. Gold warily before asking August how bad it was to get caught in Mr. Gold's office. August brushes it off. Henry then asks if August found what he was looking for, to which the older man says, he has a feeling it'll find him. I'm so glad August is invited to this party, even though he like doesn't know Mary Margaret at all and that he's just sitting there with his nasty man slut shirt half open. I'm so glad, I'm so glad it's not gross or anything. Yeah, why was he at that party? I don't know! I guess because he's, like, helping Henry with Operation Cobra now, so he's like... It's not Henry's party! You gave me that hint. Uh, I think, I think because... This party Emma, is for Emma Mary probably. Margaret. Oh, yeah, yeah. Emma, the, Emma, no, just like Emma, Emma and Emma are, are, are kind of bros. They are kind of bros yeah. at this time, yeah. They are. I refuse. Emma Swan's better than this. I refuse. Well, that's why they're bros. They're bros. DTF. No, they're definitely just bros. Yeah, exactly. It shouldn't be anything. <laughs> I know, baby. Henry gives Mary Margaret his present, a giant card from the class that says, we're so glad that you didn't kill Mrs. Nolan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Henry, you truly are the product of your lineage. I love this child. This is just such a good moment. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Mary Margaret just rolls with it like the good teacher oh that she is. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thanks. I know, bless her. She, like, it it barely throws her it does a little but she bounces back and you're like good for you honey because <laughs> damn <laughs> that's a hell of a thing to say to someone yeah like oh wow thanks oh, well, thanks 
I just want to teach you bird 101. I just want to <laughs> teach you about birds. Little burbs, burb houses. Emma goes to take Henry home, but runs into David at the door. Mary Margaret isn't ready to see him yet, so Emma suggests that he take Henry home to get rid of him. Listen, David, you've been a whole bag of ass, and Emma is over it. Yeah, she gonna open up a can of whoop ass on you, sir. Hose before bros. Yeah, Emma's like really been such a good friend to Mary Margaret, except for that one OCC moment that we had like a few episodes ago. But besides that, she's been so amazing and like really making sure to stop David from coming in. And like, she still has that like that little Emma compassion where she like realizes where David's been through a lot. She's kind, but firm and is just like, no, sir, you do not get to talk to her. You were awful to her. You know, I might not hate you, but I hate you for what you did to Mary Margaret. And she does not need to see you right now. And it was just a really nice little moment. Yeah. Although, honestly, she should have just slammed the door in his face. Yeah. I think there's a lot of withholding of violence anyway, because Henry seems to be around. Yeah. It's true. A lot of these moments. A foot away from her. So I do think there is a lot of like, I'd kick your ass, but my kid is standing right here. Yeah. Yeah. Same with like golden August in the back room. He's like, I I would beat you to death with my cane, except that there's this sweet soft boy. Sweet boy. A dear sweet boy that I that I actually like. I actually give a shit about his opinion of me. (laughs) It's true, it's true. But Emma does she's a little soft spot for David. Like she's not happy with him, but you see that they're a little soft soft spot. This is her dad. She doesn't know that yet, but you know. Mr. Gold approaches Emma, noting that it is hard for her to let Henry go. Speaking of things we weren't talking about, Emma segues, confronting Gold, demanding to know if he's the one who made Catherine materialize. Are you proposing I'm working with Regina or against her? Gold asks. I don't know. Maybe diagonally, Emma says, which is a really fucking great line. It's very good. (laughs) Gold asks her about August. He's a writer, Emma replies simply. A typewriter wrapped in an enigma wrapped in a stubble. Gold thinks August is a fake name and tells her about him poking around his shop. Gold then asks Emma if she trusts August. Given her current suspicions, Emma says she trusts August a lot more than she trusts Gold. Mr. Gold immediately hates August, and for that, I would die for him. It's Persona 4 rules. He did a basic thing for me, and now he's stuck with my undying friendship. (laughs) Back in the Enchanted Forest, Rumpelstiltskin brings his son home and starts to heal his knee with magic. But Balefire gently pushes his hand away, stating he doesn't want magic as it is just a scrape. But magic will heal it, says Rumpelstiltskin with confusion. His son fetches a medicine kit. So will this. He hands it to his father, who patches up his boy the old-fashioned way. Balefire tells his papa that he is different now, and he frequently hurts people. Rumpel points out that he brokered a truce with the ogres and led all of the child soldiers home. Balefire says it's time for him to be done with it. Rumpelstiltskin insists he needs more power so he can protect Faye. I wouldn't need protecting if you didn't have power, Bay insists. Balefire wants him to try and get rid of his power. The only way Rumpel knows of is if someone stabs him with a dagger, as he did Zozo. Balefire asks if his papa would agree with getting rid of magic if he found a way that didn't involve either of them being maimed. Rumpelstiltskin snipes back, flourishing that he can conjure anything Balefire wishes to just name it. I want my father, Balefire says earnestly. Rumpel sighs, saying all he wants is Balefire's happiness. He agrees to his son's terms. Bay holds out his hand, and as they shake, Bay says, 
the deal is struck. Balefire is so adorable. He is so cute. I love this kid so much. I really Aww. do. Bay. Oh, Bay. The OG Bay. The OG Bay. <laughs> we return to Storybrooke where Rumpelstiltskin breaks into August's room at Granny's B&B and pokes around. He soon finds a drawing of Rumpelstiltskin's dagger. I like the little touch of the donkey paperweight. I don't think I ever say it enough, but the set designers and prop masters are really ace in this show. Yeah, it was a really nice touch. I liked it. Emma joins Sydney at the diner, confronting him with the bug he planted. I love that Sydney goes for broke. Like, is that a bug? It's really common. <laughs> is that a bug? <laughs> it really is. And Emma's all, bro, bro, no, stop. You're embarrassing both of us now. <laughs> Emma tells Sydney there's a DNA trail in a basement somewhere and she's going to find it and he and Regina will be in a lot of trouble. Sydney defends Regina as an amazing woman. <laughs> Can we all just laugh? Sydney. <laughs> oh, Sydney. It's painful. It is. Gobsmacked, Emma realizes that Sydney is in love with Regina. Emma warns him that he can either help her or decide to go down with Regina too. Emma's just like, this poor bastard. Oh, no. Oh, no. God, for real, Sydney. Sydney, please. Come on, dude. This isn't healthy. Let's just, like, set you up an OkCupid profile together. You don't need this shit. I, I think he needs, like, one of those cult deprogramming yeah. therapies. He absolutely does. Because this like, poor bastard. Like Regina Obsessors Anonymous or something. <laughs> mm-hmm. It really does. Meanwhile, August is seen mounting his motorcycle and taking off. We see Mr. Gold in his sweet Cadillac soon following. Back in the past, Rumpelstiltskin leaves Bay to play with the local children while he attends to business. Bay approaches the kids, but they run in fear of him. Despondent, Bay sits on a log and is soon joined by his friend and neighbor, Moraine. She says they're only scared of his papa, but she isn't. She saw him stop the fighting on the battlefield. It was like a miracle, she says. I love this character so much. She's just this tiny little role that I think the fact that she says she isn't afraid of Rumpelstiltskin and tells Balefire about him on the battlefield is so underplayed. I don't know. I, I'm one of those people easily drawn in by a one-off character that had potential to be a lot more. Yeah, I liked it too. And, and it shows that he had you no know, honorable intentions for being the dark one. We remember in Desperate Souls, like he had honorable intentions here. And he used that power to right a pretty horrific wrong of these children being forced to fight in the Ogre War. Uh, but then of course, you know, power corrupts and it begins to corrupt him. And you know what they say about power. And also it's a curse. Like, I mean, he's called the dark one. It's a dark curse. So yeah. it, like the curse itself is corrupting him. Yeah. And this is the same kid that we see hauled off in the beginning of Desperate Souls, isn't it? Yes. In this whole scene, though, I'm just like, obey. This poor, sad, fluffy Canadian child. He's just a little softy. And like, because of that, when he tells her, I'm dangerous, it has like all the affect of Pee Wee Herman going, I'm a loner, Dottie, a rebel. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it does. Balefire tells Moraine about trying to find a way to get rid of Rumpelstiltskin's ever-corrupting power, but does not know where to look. Moraine tells him about a rumor she heard from the other soldiers. Rul Gorm, an ancient being that rules the night and the original power, 
more powerful than the dark one. So there's this theory that Balefire and Moraine are named for Wheel of Time references, Balefire being the weapon of the one power and Moraine being one of the first people to wield this weapon. Could be a coincidence, but apparently the character Moraine is known for wearing blue and our Moraine is wearing a blue dress in her scene. I wonder if they had more plans for her but couldn't fit them in or if this was just a fun Easter egg for nerds. Oh, that's interesting, though. I did yeah. not know that at all. Yeah. Moraine departs as Rumpelstiltskin returns. Balefire says his friends are all afraid of him, which his papa scoffs off, saying they will get over it in time. Bay notes the blood on Rumpel's boots. To Bay's horror, his papa announces that they need a new maid, as the previous one overheard them talking about the dagger. He doesn't care that she was mute and couldn't tell anyone. Rumpelstiltskin just did another casual murder, but this time not for love. Except for maybe his love of not getting stabbed? Or stabbing. Or stabbing. Could be a little of both. Or no los dos. <laughs> In Storybrooke, Mr. Gold spies on August talking to Mother Superior. When August leaves, Mr. Gold interrogates her, threatening to double the rent if she does not comply. She reveals that August came to town looking for his father after a long estrangement and recently found him but he hasn't spoken to him yet because it was a difficult parting and that there are many issues to be resolved. We cut to the enchanted forest with Bay creeping out into the woods at night. He quietly calls to the powerful Rule Gorm. The blue fairy arrives saying she can help. How do I know I can trust you? Asks Balefire. Oh kid, it is a little late for that. Also, fun fact, Rule Gorm is Scots Gaelic for blue star. I swear to God, I thought he was saying rhubarb, and instead of a disappointing <laughs> pie feeling, we just get this bitch. Hey, I love rhubarb. It is one of my favorite pies. The next time someone gives me rhubarb pie, I will call you and have you take it away from me because I cannot deal with it. Okay, sounds <laughs> good. What pie don't you like, Chell? Maybe, you, maybe I love one you hate and we can switch. Apple. Oh no, we're on the same team. The fucking blue fairy says there is light magic and dark magic, and she's on the right side. Ugh, gag. Someone needs to turn her into a snail and stomp on her. She is really fucking sanctimonious. She really is. She notices that he has been touched by magic and that there is something dark in his life. Bay reveals that his father is the dark one. She says that she cannot ever revert him back, but she offers to send him somewhere he cannot access his powers, a place without magic. She says what ails Rumpelstiltskin is specific to their realm. His powers do not belong there, which is a super contradictory and very confusing line to the point where I had to like rewind and put on the subtitles a couple of times because I was like, what? Like what it, it was very clumsy. Like she says, what ails Rumpelstiltskin is specific to their realm, meaning like fairy tale land, mm-hmm. but that his powers don't belong there. Maybe the there is just supposed to be the land without magic. Yeah, and, I think, and it's just and it's it's just like I think it was very just a poorly written. Line. Yeah, because yeah. I think it means that there is the, the land without magic, and so if he's there, ah, uh, yes, okay. There. I say yeah. it, like I get it now that I say it out loud, but I was just like, wait, what? Yeah, okay. Now I think we can all agree that that wasn't a very well written line. It was a little clumsy. Yeah. 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 The blue fairy encourages Babe to escape the wretched curse by leaving this realm insisting it's the only way for Bay to get his father back. 
She gives him a magic bean, the last known to their kind. She tells him to follow it where it leads him and it will save both father and son. I hate her so much. This was clearly a plot. How can it not be? She knew his name. Even that look before she fucked off this, like, like, it's like kind of a, like, take the bean, take the bean, you know, kind of look like, like, it really did look like she was waiting for him to be like, yes, I will do this. You know what I mean? Like, oh, it was oh my God. Like the dark Kermit meme with the do it. Yes. <laughs> yes. I mean, this, this bitch does not have a poker face. Like, you know, like you can read her thoughts on her face. Like why, why even cut to her face in that scene? when Bay is like looking at the magic bean, you know, and contemplating what she told him in the first place, you know? Oh my God, Elisa, I, I'm just so angry. Please put some like angry swan noises into this area so people know that I am just swearing up a storm. I will do that, I will do that. Yeah, I'm yeah. Swans. I'm a of swans. <laughs> so many swans. I have a lot of swan noises. <laughs> I have a lot of swan noises. And they make me laugh like a high <laughs> for me. I don't know why swans honking is funny, but it is. Because they're <laughs> funny to begin with, and then I took just using them. They're as- weird, ridiculous birds, let's face it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the blue fairies fixes are never the right kind of fixes. Like, she never fixes things how she should and I never really thought of it before in this episode mostly because I just always you know I sympathize with Bay in this episode and so I'm like oh you know she's just trying to help but she's she's not I think you do bring up a really good point because I really do wonder if this wasn't seen by the blue fairy as an opportunity to you know stop the line of the dark one once and for all um because she she is shady as fuck and like I think she is using this as an opportunity to knock off the line of the dark one like finally like stop this like dagger to dagger like with just continuous people being potentially more powerful than her oh 100 100 this was completely premeditated and that she was just waiting for her opportunity to like get rid of a, a dark one you know i mean the fact that like she knew his name but then she acts surprised when you know he tells her like oh the dark one is you know, my dad, it's like, oh, bitch, you knew that. Shut up. You know, like, I I don't know. I don't even think like this fucking show ever goes into it either. Because I don't know, the blue fairy just doesn't become the main big bad ever. I think she should have. She should have. All of the, uh, the pieces to the puzzle were absolutely there. They were all lined up like here in season one for her to eventually be a tremendous villain. And you're right. Like all of her fixes are never they're never right they're always skewed in a way kind of like the way when like Rumpelstiltskin is willing to help somebody but it's always for a deal and again this is kind of why I defer to him because I'm like at least he is transparent whereas her agendas are always kept secret only to herself yeah so I I think she's the biggest villain of this whole show to be honest I mean it would have been a compelling narrative if they had had it eventually loop back to that. Yeah, and, I'm, and I am sorry. That's obviously a spoiler, but I don't want anyone to get their hopes up the way that I did. <laughs> so yeah, she does, she does not become a main villain at all. And it, it's just a gigantic missed opportunity. Let's get out of the Enchanted Forest so that way I don't have to look at this blue lightning bug ever again. Yeah, well, let's return to Storybrooke. Okay, we return to Storybrooke where that idiot David ambushes Mary Margaret on the street. I need to apologize, he says, to which Mary Margaret simply replies, yes, you do. David, for fuck's sake, haven't you done enough? 
David rattles off his sins, but oddly never properly apologizes for them. Mary Margaret tells him she will never forget what it felt like to not have his support when she needed it the most. Foolishly, he retaliates, pointing out the pile of evidence he claims was a really good setup. I'm human, I fell for it, I'm sorry, but we have to move forward. First of all, it was not a good setup. And mm -mm. you know, David, they say that everything you say before but is instantly negated. Yeah, I love and by love, I mean hate his apology because it's just basically blaming her and being like, clearly I'm the victim. I'm just a dum-dum. It's your fault that I made horrible assumptions about you being murdery. It's your fault I was so dumb I believed it. If anything, you should apologize to me. Like, get the fuck out of here right now. Charming would never. So how are you such a goddamn tool? I don't understand. Charming, Charming is the perfect man and we just get this turd. Yeah, Charming would have let you sh shoot him with an arrow. He did. Yeah. <laughs> because that's true love, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Mary Margaret cannot move forward. It's like something in this world doesn't want us together, she remarks. She doesn't want to taint the good memories with the moment he stopped believing in her. He apologizes again and tells her he loves her. With a sad smile and eyes full of tears, Mary Margaret says that just makes everything so sad. Jennifer is so good in this scene. And that delivery of that last line of like, and that's what makes it all so sad. It's, it's heartbreaking. She's so good. And just ugh, poor Mary Margaret ugh, breaks my heart. Yeah. I realized since I hadn't put it in earlier. Right here is my weekly reminder that Mary Margaret is too good for this goddamn place. She is. She is. But we have to go back to the Enchanted Forest now. I thought we weren't doing that. I know. We're back there. We gotta see what happens to Bay. Oh, I do love him. Bay comes home to his father, telling him about his meeting with, with the rhubarb fairy. Rumpelstiltskin recognizes this to be the name of the blue fairy and dismisses Bay's findings, saying fairy magic doesn't mix well with what he is. Bay tries to tell his father about the land without magic, where Rumpelstiltskin would be without his power, but equal to everyone else. Bay says they could be happy somewhere else without magic. He reminds his father about his promise, the deal he made, and he asks if he's backing out. Rumpel thinks on it for a moment before replying, no. In Storybrooke, Mr. Gold approaches the office of Dr. Hopper with great hesitancy. Archie is here! Mr. Gold knocks on his door and then tries to slink away immediately. Archie is confused, thinking his landlord is there for the rent, a remark which Rumpelstiltskin is almost confused and stunned by. I think it is really interesting here that Rumpel says, why does everyone ask that? Because everyone else is still under the curse, so they only know Mr. Gold, the standoffish landlord. They don't know he's really Rumpelstiltskin yet, who kind of forgets his base roles as Mr. Gold when he is under emotional duress like this. I, I think it's a, a little quiet character touch and I just really appreciate it. Mr. Gold hesitates sharing the real reason why he came, but Dr. Hopper guesses that the other man wants to get something off of his chest and offers to listen. Whenever Archie talks, it just makes my little Mass Effect loving heart go pitter-patter. It makes me so happy. I, I do hope, though, that Archie, like, invoices all these people that he's just giving, like, random <laughs> I'm prompt to advice to, because Archie, I have, as one freelancer to the next. Might. I don't think he's going to invoice Mr. Gold because he's afraid of him. He, this is true. 
This is true. I, I think he I think Mr. Gold's therapy sessions are pro bono. I wouldn't be surprised though if Mr. Gold was like, I'll knock off a hundred bucks from your rent. You know? Like I think if he made the offer it'd be one thing, but I don't think Archie would ever be like, uh, by the way, that was two hours and my rate's like a hundred bucks an hour. No, <laughs> no, not at all. He's just like it's fine. You know, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Please, please don't raise my rent or break my kneecaps. <laughs> but like giving David free sessions plus hypnotherapy. I mean, Jesus. So I'm just like I um, hope he charged yeah, David. Yeah, definitely better have him. Yeah, David. I yeah. hope send, he charged David twice. Send an twice. invoice to him. <laughs> Gold tells him he thinks he might have found his estranged son, but he's not sure if he's only seeing what he wants to see. Mr. Gold thinks his son might still be very angry. Archie assures him that anger between a parent and a child is the most natural thing in the world. I think he might be here to kill me, Gold says, which leaves Archie hilariously sputtering. Gold has spent his whole life trying to fix the mistake between himself and his son, but now he's here and he doesn't know what to do. Archie tells him he just has to be honest with his son. Honesty has never been the best color on me, Mr. Gold snaps back, but Archie stands his ground, saying there is no other way. Archie is just like, yikes, when Mr. Gold says he thinks his son wants to kill him. Like, he's so out of his element instantly with that, but he still tries to help. I love Archie. I know this poor man, poor, poor, <laughs> sweet, wonderful Archie. He has a whole face journey from, well, sometimes family just need to talk to, oh no, murder, murder is bad. Don't, don't do that. <laughs> Bless him. He's just, he's trying his best. He really is. He's poor. like, yeah, he's like, oh, I finally have the opportunity to get to know my cold and you know, surly landlord and help him out and everything. And then it's like, oh shit, I really oh, no. <laughs> Yeah, it's like I whole know, wish I didn't know this. <laughs> he's like, oh, he's opening up to me. That's kind of nice. Oh no. Oh, oh no. no. Oh no, 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 no. <laughs> oh no, no, that no, that's bad. I was actually surprised Archie didn't say, I think you should probably tell Emma. <laughs> yeah. Maybe you should go to the one police officer we have in this town. <laughs> yeah. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. finds August outside of the cabin. He opens by telling August he knows who he is and he knows what he's looking for. Well, I guess all the lying can stop, Papa, says August. August saying Papa makes me want to peel off all of my skin and run screaming into the night. I will never feel clean again. It boils my blood every single time i see this episode I, I i like if i didn't have to rewatch it i just kind of fast forward Ugh. it's the worst the tm worst. yeah thankfully we get a little reprieve because we're going back to the enchanted forest of the yeah, past Bay's there yes bay is there but not for long oh no bay oh bay 
Faye! Faye! <laughs> Hellfire leads his father through the forest. Rumpelstiltskin asks where they're going and what kind of a world is without magic. Faye holds up the bean and says, a better one, before he throws the bean on the ground, prompting a vortex to open. Faye tries to convince his father to go through. Rumpel says he can't, thinking that they will be torn apart. The vortex widens, causing Bay to slip to the ground, pulling his father along with him. Rumpelstiltskin takes the dagger and stakes it into the ground, using it as an anchor to hold himself back while he clings to Bay with his other hand. Balefire encourages him to let go of the dagger and join him. Rumpelstiltskin is unable to part with his powers. Bay calls him a coward and reminds him of his promise over and over, but Rumpel just won't let go. Bay is pulled through the vortex, leaving his father behind. When the ground closes, Rumpel realizes his mistake and begins to claw at the disturbed soil, shouting that he wants to go with Bay. Oh, you done fucked up, sir. You chose power over your son. And, and even if this was a setup from the Blue Fairy, like you should have gone with him and not let him go alone. He's your kid and you loved him and he loved you. And like, he's who you were trying to protect to begin with. Like, I get that this is an important character moment and that he lets go and instantly regrets it. And it becomes his whole motivation for everything. And we probably wouldn't have a lot of the show without it. We may not even have a show without it, but still, ugh. Poor Bay, So sad. For real. For real. God damn it, Rumple! Get in the tornado with that fluffy sheep boy, you ass. It's so heartbreaking. Bay. Poor Bay. Who gonna take care of him now? Yeah. Who indeed? Anyway, flash forward to Storybrooke. Gold tells August he was right about him being a coward and that he should have never let him go. August is in this episode too much. I'm running out of steam. I'm going to be hoarse tomorrow. I just, God, I hate him so much. I hate him so much. Gold swears that ever since Bay left, he's been trying to find him. Rumpelstiltskin pleads with August to do what he's always done and be the bigger man. He breaks down crying, apologizing. August embraces him. When Gold asks if he can truly forgive him, August forgives him. Gold guesses August was looking for the dagger. August thought if his dad still had it, it would mean Rumpel hadn't changed. Gold suggests that they go dig it up. Gold explains that he buried it shortly after Emma came to town as he didn't want to take the chance of Regina finding it. They dig it up and Gold gives it to August, telling him to destroy it. He tells August he chose the dagger once, but this time he's choosing his son. August gingerly accepts the dagger, but then points it at Gold, saying, I command thee, Dark One, you dick. Have I not been saying he was the worst in every episode thus far? Sure. You have. Also, I just had a revelation. What? Mr. Gold's murder gardening in the middle of the forest in The Heart is a Lonely Hunter. Oh, he was burying the He was burying the knife. Yeah. He wasn't just casually hiding a body when we were like, sir. Wait, you never realized that? No. no. <laughs> oh, 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 my, my sweet, my sweet babies. To be oh, fair, yeah. other than the first time I watched it, and this time, every subsequent rewatch, I've been sewing while it's been on. We this is true. We skipped the heart as a lonely hunter. As I well. only watched yes. that once. Yep. Yeah, in the beginning. So it's also true. We, I never we, made that we, connection. We oh, one. okay. No, no, no. All right. That, that makes us sense. Out. 
Nope, that makes sense. Okay, that tracks. All right, all is forgiven. Okay, but my <laughs> mind was blown right now. I was like, oh! <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. He, I knew he was smarter. But yes, I've seen this a little bit more recently. Okay. Gold realizes August is trying to control him. You're not my son, Gold hisses in realization. Come on, Gold. How did you really think that that soft Canadian angel would grow up to be this greaseball fuckboy? True. Come on. <laughs> Work with August- me. Who's <laughs> distraught? I don't care. <laughs> There's no way. There's no way that pure, sweet, fluffy child would grow up into this flaming ball of trash. August goes for broke, but Gold cuts him off, telling August his son would know the knife can't harness magic in this world because there is no magic here. That's why he chose this place, because he wouldn't want me dabbling. Gold grabs the knife back, asking why August didn't just come to him in the first place with whatever he needed help with. Miserably, August explains he needed Gold to want to believe August was Balefire so badly that he would ignore the obvious. Gold guesses accurately that August is from the Enchanted Forest. He wants to know how August knew about him and the dagger. A little fairy, says August. Snitches get stitches, just saying. And then Mr. Gold killed August. The end. Best day ever. <laughs> Huzzah! 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 Alas. Life continues to disappoint me. Rumpelstiltskin then asks why he took the risk of messing with him, knowing Rumpel would kill him if he was caught. August says he will die no matter what, that he's sick and he needs magic and would die anyway. Not soon enough, August. Fucking chop chop. (laughs) August wanted to get Emma to believe, but he fears he will die before that happens. She trusts you, Gold says. It might be enough. Try again. Gold leaves him, much to August's surprise. You're going to die either way, says Gold. This way, I might get something out of it. In the Enchanted Forest, Rumpelstiltskin summons the Blue Fairy, demanding to know how he can follow Bay. She bickers back, telling him he had the way, but he didn't take it, and there are no other beams to transport him. She shoots down his ideas of other means until he guesses a curse might work. The Blue Fairy says it would come at a great price, meaning the sacrifice of this world, which of course means nothing to him. Although his abilities as the Dark One are only beginning to flourish, Rumpelstiltskin vows he will do nothing else or love nothing else, only work to find a way to get his son back. He claims the Fairy took his son, but she reminds him that he drove Balefire away. Angrily, Rumpelstiltskin tries to shank her with the dagger, but she unfortunately, gets away. Damn, he missed. Darn. Darn. In Storybrook, Emma comes to the sheriff's office and finds Regina waiting for her, claiming she has a big break in the case. She introduces Sidney and prompts him to repeat what he had just told her. Sidney confesses to everything, saying he did it so he could rescue Catherine and be a hero and get his job back and get his fancy book deal. Regina, for fuck's sake. Oof, poor Sydney. Like, damn, you gotta feel a little bad for this guy. Uh, I do not, ma'am. I do not feel I, bad for him anymore. Yeah. Every everyone, including him, knows that Regina's playing him like a fiddle at this point. And yeah, like, yeah, I guess that's true. Knew, I don't know why he goes along with it. I don't know because in the very beginning of the episode, Emma's like, 
yo, shit's going to go down. And if you stick with her, she's going to drag you along with her. You know that. You know that, dude. And he's all like, no, not Regina. She would never. She would never. And Emma's like, she's gonna. And he just kind of goes, Mwah. So I don't know, man. He kind of dug his own grave at this point. And Emma doesn't need her superpower to know that this is a big bag of bullshit. One of these days... Emma Swan is going to snap and kick everyone's ass. And I only hope that I am around to see it happen. Emma wants a private word with Regina in the hallway, where Emma tells Regina that this is the biggest load of crap she's ever heard. Emma warns Regina she's about to start playing an entirely different game, and all she cares about is Henry. Regina tried to take away someone she loves, so now Emma's going to take away someone Regina loves. I'm taking back my son. Boom. End credits. Emma's so mad and hot. She, oh, she she big mad. She big mad. Hot, and I believe she could fight her way through anything right now. Yeah, god damn that Emma is so hot right now. Love her. Love her. So, final thoughts. This episode has too much fucking August. Too much. And Archie is the only grown man in this episode who I at no point wanted to beat up. The rest of them can meet me in the fucking pit. <laughs> um, overall, I do, you know, I, I agree with Lynn. There's a little too more August than I would have liked. A little? <laughs> um, I do think this is a pretty damn solid episode that sets up some major plot points for the following seasons. I also think we get some really great performances. Uh, stand out probably, of course, the Jennifer scenes. And obviously, good old Robbie Carlisle. Amazing, as always. And I have to say, the kid that plays Balefire is great, too. I, f- I forget his name right now. I'm, I'm real sorry. It's Dylan Schmidt. Yeah, he's great. I just, I just love this kid every time he's in an episode. You really feel for him. I love seeing more Archie. I love the finishing scene in this episode with hot protective Emma drawing a line in the fucking sand with Regina. And overall, once again, it ended and I was like, oh, I want to watch the next one, even though I already know what happens. So this final push of this very end of the season is just so, you're like, oh, I want to keep going. I want to keep going. Agreed. I mean, I don't really have too much more to add other than we all know I would like it because it's a Rumpelstiltskin episode so and balefire is like icing on a cake so i think we can all agree the episode would have been better if rumpelstiltskin had in fact killed august mm, yeah I, I i would agree with that i yeah. would agree with that yeah. yeah yeah we don't need him he's just taking up space yeah. <laughs> and being greasy and probably smelling up the joint because he obviously i did, I did like emma's like description of him though he's a typewriter wrapped in stubble or something <laughs> and grunge so much grunge yeah. yeah all right costumes i really love moraine's blue dress it is cottage core realness it's very cute i think it's overall a trend just all the enchanted forest like young girl costumes are always the best dresses just everyone just just ah best costumes also mary margaret's cream colored coat is a bold choice and i love it a bitch loves that dramatic collar Also, I have extreme love and coveting for Mary Margaret's party frock. It's black with white polka dots and a mulberry pink cardigan. I would wear that in a heartbeat. And also, Mr. Gold always looks like a snack to me, but 
I love a black and purple combo, so double. I didn't notice the costumes almost at all through my haze of pure rage. It just no, that's that's fair. That's I fair. spent the whole thing just like seething and seeing red, so I couldn't <laughs> pick out the costumes through set red. Who's that guest star? In which we give a little background info on the guest stars. So in episode nineteen, we have Anastasia Griffith as Princess Abigail, also Catherine Nolan. Born to a Northern Irish mother and American father, Anastasia Griffith grew up in West London and trained at the London Academy of Music and Dramatic Art. She is mostly found on the small screen with guest stars and recurring roles in titles such as Royal Pains, Damages, Trauma, Copper, Elementary, The Blacklist, and Deep State. Dylan Schmidt as Bellfire, born in Victoria, British Columbia, Dylan Schmidt can be found in TV shows such as R.L. Stein's The Haunting Hour, Shut Eye, A Teacher, and Snowpiercer. He co-starred in the film 1922, adapted from the Stephen King novella, and had a role in the 2013 comedic crime drama, Horns. All right, here we go. Whew. Okay, my tongue needs to, because <clears throat> he's got a name. He's got a fucking name. Here we go. Giancarlo Giuseppe Alessandro Esposito, as the genie of Agrabah, the magic mirror, and Sydney Glass. Esposito was born in Copenhagen, Denmark to an Italian father and African-American opera singer mother. By the time Giancarlo was six, his family had settled in Manhattan. And by the time he was eight, Giancarlo made his Broadway debut in Maggie Flynn. Among his numerous television credits are Sesame Street, Miami Vice, Homicide, Life on the Streets, Girls Club, Breaking Bad, Revolution, the Get Down, Dear White People, Better Call Saul, and Moff Gideon in The Mandalorian. He is also the voice of Lex Luthor in the Harley Quinn series on HBO Max, and he was one of the chorus of children who sang the theme song to The Electric Company on PBS. That's hilarious. He's, he's so That's great. Yeah, yeah, he has such like him and Raphael are like neck and neck for credits. Yeah. It's, it's and like diversity of credits too. But I think actually Raphael's a little has a much more diverse uh, portfolio because I think also he, does he more plays my Canadian space husband. So he does <laughs> props. All right, so it's time to throw ourselves into the swirling vortex that is Once Upon a Timeline. Segue, that was amazing That's your, that was your best one yet hey thank you i'm being glib <laughs> so this one's a pretty easy one when lining it up alongside the previous 18 episodes uh the flashbacks take place a little bit after the flashbacks we have previously seen in episode eight desperate souls we know a little bit of time has passed uh, since the new Dark One has done a few heroics and then some not-so-heroic deeds uh, since coming into power. However, Bay's young age tells us that not too much time has passed. Following this episode would be episode 5, That Still Small Voice, although it's safe to assume quite a bit of time passes between this one and episode 5, That Still Small Voice, because we know that the Dark One's been around for a while. Next time on Once Upon a Rewatch, Mary Margaret resumes her teaching position while Emma, with a little help from Mr. Gold, begins to build a case for removing Henry from Regina's custody. Meanwhile, we learn the true identity of August, and Regina doubles down on being a hateful creeper. Thank you for tuning in to Once Upon a Rewatch. We are the Narrators 3. The moral of this episode is, trust your bae.
You can find us on anchor.fm slash once upon a rewatch. Talk fairy tales with us on Twitter at once upon rewatch. On Instagram at once upon rewatch. On Tumblr at once upon a rewatch.tumblr.com. If you enjoy Once Upon a Rewatch, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or on your platform of choice. I want to say a very special thank you to the master of free music, Kevin McLeod. Our intro music is Frost Waltz, and our outro is Fairy Tale Waltz. And remember, all pod devices come with a price. Oh, David. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, hang on. Kermit thinks so, too. He agrees with me. Oh, yeah. Kermit's, Kermit's like... Kermit's okay. in my corner. <laughs>